So we're in Mark chapter 16 and reading from verse 9. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. Our Saviour made five resurrection day appearances to his followers. And I just wanted to mention the fact that he did not make any to unbelievers. Although there was doubt and there was a lack of belief on the part of his disciples and his followers, the Lord did not appear to those who were outside of the group of believers. And I think that that is very interesting. It's not my purpose to dwell too much upon this single point today. But I would like to hear those who preach up man's free will explain why the Lord did not appear to any unbelievers. One would imagine that that would have been an obvious thing to do in order to encourage them uh, to believe that he was risen from the dead. The world says, of course, if we saw Jesus, we would have faith. If we had some evidence, then we would believe. But you see, the truth is that no, they would not. Because that's not how faith works. When men crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, that was the last time that they saw him alive. Now, only those who are given faith in Christ see the Lord Jesus Christ. The next time that the reprobate, the next time that unbelievers or the non-elect will see the Lord Jesus Christ, will be at the great white throne judgment, by which time their eternal destiny will have been a long time sealed. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared to his little flock. He did not appear to the unbelievers and those who had slain him. What if he had turned up that morning, that resurrection morning, at the temple 
in Jerusalem? Or what if he had visited Pilate and his wife as they were having breakfast or walked in on that meeting with the high priest when he was paying out the bribes to the tomb guards? Do you think that those people would all be in heaven today because they had seen the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead? Not a bit of it. And here we see this principle that the Lord Jesus Christ only visits his church. And I think that there are lessons that we can draw from these uh, few verses that we have before us today that uh, can be applicable to us and extend beyond the circumstances and the people involved at this moment. I mentioned yesterday in the little introduction how that the Lord met with particular individuals to address their particular needs. There was nothing haphazard or random about these five encounters that the Lord made this day. The Lord intentionally met with certain people in a predetermined order with a specific purpose. And we're going to think about those, uh, those five uh, um, visits that the Lord made in a few moments. Just before we do that, I would like to make a few general points. And the first one is, is this. Did you notice the astonishment of all the Lord's followers to the resurrection. I think this is quite remarkable actually. Not one of the Lord's disciples, nor Luke tells us uh, them that were with them. So there was more than just the, the 11, there was more than just the, the immediate group of, uh, of the Lord's disciples there uh, when the Lord made his, his visit and, and when this information was conveyed to the, the, the larger group of disciples. But not one of them had any notion that the resurrection was about to happen. They had spent from Friday weeping and mourning, consoling one another to the best of their ability. But despite being within the closest circle of the Lord's hearers and confidants for several years, people who had received first-hand divine teaching, who had witnessed, who had personally performed amazing miracles and heard glorious revelations about these very matters, not one of them had any awareness of what was unfolding right before their eyes. It's almost as if there was a collective blindness. And even when the first messages began to come through of the open door at the sepulchre and the absence of the Lord's body and the testimony of the women to the gathered disciples, still it seems they did not consider who it was that they were mourning and what Christ 
was capable of doing. The Lord Jesus Christ had raised others from the dead. They were there. They saw Jairus' daughter being raised. They saw the, the widow of Nain's son. They knew about uh, um, um, the way in, in which Lazarus had, had been brought forth from the tomb some considerable time after he was dead. They knew this. The Lord Jesus Christ had explicitly said that he had power to lay down his life and take it again. And yet what do we find but that these believers, for believers they were, these, these uh, men and women were faithful to the Lord. And yet these believers did not believe. And I want us to pause here for a, a moment and, and reflect on something which I think is, is important and, and something that is applicable to ourselves. I want us to reflect on how privileged that we have been over the years to receive godly teaching. Just like these disciples had received godly teaching. How privileged we have been to hear the glorious truths of the gospel explained to us and to have personally witnessed extraordinary evidences of divine grace in our own lives and in the lives of others. How blessed we have been to see the witness of God's power in the lives of men and women and in the life of his church. And I want us to ask the question, why? Why has the Lord shown me these things? What has all this preparation been for? What of these doctrines that we have learned? What of these biblical examples that we've studied together? What about the promises of God that we've memorized and stored up in our hearts? Has not the Lord been teaching us? And for what has, been, has he been teaching us? What is the Lord preparing us for? These disciples were being prepared of the Lord for three years and saw wonderful things before their very eyes. And yet here in this moment, it seems as if they had forgotten everything. The Lord has been teaching us as well and preparing us for what? For today and for the days that lie ahead in our lives. And he has been preparing us for the day of testing. He's been preparing us for the time of struggle, for the hour of suffering, for the moment of loss. And yet here were these disciples, stranded and confounded despite so much effort going into their preparation for this very moment. The Lord says of them, O ye of little faith. And that, 
unfortunately is a, a, a testimony that well applies to us all. I don't think I would have been any different. But I do think that there is an admonition for us here. Soon we all shall have to face challenges that are new to us concerning which we have no experience. Maybe it will be sickness and the failing of these bodies. Maybe it will be bereavement and the loss of a loved one. Perhaps it will be a spiritual crisis or a domestic crisis or a financial crisis that comes upon us. And I want to say to you, before that happens, these days, these services, these occasions that we have just now in coming around the word of God, in being able to fellowship together in the gospel, in being able to read together about the Lord's visitations to his people and the things that he taught them and the things that he prepared them with. These are for our edification too. These are our preparations from the Lord for the challenges that we shall face as well. These Bible examples, these Bible doctrines, these revelations of the ways in which God works and the things that he has spoken about, this is the Lord's way of preparing you and me for the challenges that lie ahead and the trials that we will face. Now I know that some of you are already going through periods of trial that are new to you. And I hope that you are able to draw upon the wisdom of past years and the things that the Lord has taught you. And I hope that you will reflect upon those lessons when you feel discouraged, when you, when you feel new feelings and, and, and new problems and, and, and new fears rising in your souls, rising in your minds. Dark thoughts, perhaps. Lonely thoughts. Thoughts about paths getting narrower and narrower and a hopelessness appearing before you. It is these occasions where the Lord feeds us with the bread of the gospel and encourages our hearts and nourishes our souls that are to be taken and used in these days that lie ahead. So let us value these moments. Let us value these services. Let us value this gospel in this day before that evil day comes. The disciples' comfort in this moment the disciples' joy and hope was compromised and curtailed because they did not remember what the Lord had taught them. Because they did not trust what he had said. Because they had not faith to believe all things were under his control. That all things were according to his purpose. That all would in the end be to their blessing and to their glory. So may we learn these things now, in this time, for the days that are yet to come. 
But we could say that it was even worse than that because even when these disciples were reminded and informed and received the good tidings from the first witnesses, they suppressed the good news with their unbelief. They had no reason to contradict these women, but they did. How prone we are to unbelief, even when we are fed this diet of truth and gospel mercy and the faithfulness of God to his people week by week. How prone we are to unbelief. Yes, we hold the fact of God's love and his grace and his mercy in our heads, but we fail to exercise what we know because of unbelief. And the consequence of that is that we lose our comfort, we lose our joy, and we don't benefit from the hope that the Lord has given to us. Faith in the Lord's ministry was likened to a mustard seed for its smallness. And the Lord often speaks of those who have little faith. Let us make it a prayer that the Lord increase our faith and that the Lord stir up and exercise our faith and that the Lord give us more faith and grow our faith and prepare us for the evil days that are yet to come. When our faith will be tried, when it will be tested, when it will be stretched even to its breaking point. I'm going to mention Christ's appearances individually to the people that he met on this resurrection day because I feel sure that there are lessons to be learned here for us too. Um, and so the rest of the time that we have together today, I'm going to just look briefly, quickly at these five uh, uh, individuals or groups that the Lord met. Our, our, our Saviour made these five resurrection day appearances to his followers. I mentioned yesterday that there were five on this first day and there were another five spread over the next 39 days before the Lord ascended back to heaven. So half of the Lord's appearances occurred in this one day. They were purposeful, they were specific, they were designed uh, for a, a reason. They were precise and the Lord came to certain individuals who had a particular need in that moment and therefore he made a visit to them. There's nothing random in the Lord's visits to his people. Mark tells us expressly that he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And last week we noted that uh, the Lord had cast from Mary these seven devils. She was a poor, needy soul in a dire condition when the Lord met her. Mary Magdalene, perhaps soon to be driven to an early grave by these 
demons, these these devils that 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 possessed her soul and ran her ragged. She was a woman who who who, who knew sorrow and who knew shame and 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 who knew distress in her life. But Christ came to her and showed her great mercy. He came to a soul in great need. And he brought grace sufficient to Mary Magdalene and to her state at that time when he cast out those seven devils. And because the Lord had done so much for her, because the Lord loved her so much, Mary in turn loved the Lord much. And the circumstances of this early morning journey that she made to the tomb of Jesus spoke of her great love of the Lord as well as her deep sense of loss at his death. As she stood there alone, weeping at the entrance of the Lord's tomb, she saw a figure whom through her tears and her watery eyes she assumed to be the gardener. And she pleaded with this gardener that he might tell her and return to her the body of her friend that she might take that body away and bury it properly. See, Mary loved the Lord. But in this moment, Mary was bereft of the one whom she loved. She was alone and she wept. She was confused and she was perplexed. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to this dear woman first. And I think there's something deeply intimate and consoling here for us just to, 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 to pause and, and to think about. This visit was to mend a broken heart. And so it would be the Lord's first appearance, his first encounter with his disciples and his followers. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And perhaps you are mourning, and if you're not mourning now, you will mourn in a day to come, because someone that you love will be taken from you, and you will be left alone. And this passage tells us that the Lord feels the pain of his little ones and that the Lord comes quickly to our aid at the first opportunity. He meets us in our solitude, there where Mary was standing alone. He, he meets us when there's no other one to comfort us. And amid our tears and our sorrows, he comes to us in our confusion and our perplexity and he speaks tender words of comfort to our souls. We should admire the love of the Lord in this encounter with Mary. 
Recently, I spoke to a lady who had lost her husband a short time ago. And how she told me uh, how that for years she had heard preachers talk about the Lord and his bride. The Lord and his bride. And she said, it's only now that I'm beginning to learn what a true husband Christ is to his people. You see, she had lost the partner of her life. She'd lost her husband in bereavement. But what she was discovering was a whole new dimension of her relationship with the Lord at that time of the breach, the familiar breach between her and her, her, her dead husband. Did the Lord not say, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you? And when our hearts are broken and when there is loss and when there is confusion and when these things overwhelm our spirits and leave us isolated and alone, Christ will visit us like no other can. That's the first appearance of the Lord. And then the Lord appeared to the other women. This was the second appearance of the Lord. They were next, these other women, we touched on them last week as well. They were next to be visited by the Lord. Now his purpose with these women was to strengthen their spirits and loosen their tongues. These women were trembling and dumbstruck. They were paralysed with fear because of the things that they had seen that morning and the things that they had heard. To such an extent that they could not fulfil their role as the communicators of the great work which they were witnesses to. Now, I'm sure that with me, you often feel inadequate and insufficient for the tasks that are before you. They feel too great. They feel too onerous. The responsibilities of, 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 of uh, the, the task seems to be overwhelming and, and, and burdensome. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're, maybe you're a super confident person who, who never finds anything like this a trouble. But I do and, and probably many of us do. But here again... The Lord supplied the grace and the strength and the encouragement that was needed to send these women forth with confidence, boldness, not in their own wisdom, but in the strength of having seen the risen Christ. Yes, the angels had told them. Yes, we have, we've, we've heard the good news, but it took the company of the Lord it took the appearance of the Lord to strengthen them and send them forth with this message when the Saviour calls a man or a woman or a boy or a girl into his service he supplies the courage 
and the resources required to meet that challenge. And we might think, oh, I could never do that, or I could never speak up for the Lord, or I could never say this, or I could never confront that situation. David told Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. And likewise, you and I, we go not forth alone against the foe. And when the women's courage failed, the Lord met them and strengthened them. When they lost the power of speech, he put the message of the greatest story ever told upon their lips and sent them forth to his disciples to declare it. Therefore, it was an appropriate and timely visit from the Lord. The third visit from the Lord that we have uh, recorded uh, to us is a visit that the Lord made to Peter. Peter, the apostle, uh, the, the Lord's disciple, had a visit from the Lord on this day. It was a private visit. It was a personal visit and it was a visit that largely goes unremarked upon by the gospel writers. It's an encounter that we wouldn't know about except that when the two that the Lord met on the road to Emmaus, we're coming to those two next, returned back to Jerusalem, the disciples were able to say that the Lord has appeared to Peter. And that's the only way that we know. Paul talks about it, but that's the only reference in the Gospels of this visit to uh, Peter. Peter needed a visit from the Lord Peter had sinned greatly. He had denied the Lord. He had cursed the Lord. He had lied about the Lord. And he had betrayed his friend. And everything that he stood for. Now we spent some time on this a few weeks ago and I'm not going to say any more about Peter's sin. Peter's sin was his own sin and your sin is yours and my sin is mine. But have you ever felt so ashamed that you can hardly show your face? Have you ever felt that you have effectively destroyed your testimony. You've broken confidences. You've betrayed the Lord and you've betrayed man. You have acted in a way which has brought the gospel into disrepute. You've shamed the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. I don't know what the Lord said to Peter on this occasion because it's not recorded for us. But I know that he would have shown him that no sin is too great, no betrayal is too great, but that the blood of Jesus Christ 
can cleanse from it. Peter's shame, Peter's sin, seemed set to spoil his future service and even bring his ministry to an end. What use would he be in the kingdom of God going forward? But surely the lesson for us is this, that there is always a way back for those to whom repentance and faith is given by the gracious visitation of Christ. When Christ comes and visits us, he shows us that though we are the chief of sinners, yet there is mercy and recovery and restoration to be found by the blood and by the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And dare I say that Peter's ministry was the better for the fall that he had endured and for the forgiveness that he had experienced. And then we are brought to the fourth appearance of the Lord. The account of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus is given to us in Luke chapter 24. It's a long passage. Um, we can't possibly deal with all that it contains. It's verses 13 to 32. Too, too much for us to, to, to relate even the, the, the story uh, here. But let me just say that these two on the road to Emmaus, perhaps two men, perhaps a man or a woman, uh, it's, we know that one was called Cleophas. Um, these two expressed their doubts and their disappointment and their discouragement to a stranger that they met on the road. They were talking about the things that had happened and they were encountered by the Lord and yet their eyes were closed to recognise him. And as they spilled forth all about the, 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 the confusion that they were in and, and what had happened over the past few days, thinking that they were informing this stranger, this, this traveller on the road with them, the Lord said, these words to them. O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Don't you see how needful this was that the Lord Jesus Christ should die? And be raised again. Don't you understand that this is all according to the plan? Don't you see that this is consistent with God's purpose and with Christ's glory? And if we, like those two travellers on the road to Emmaus, were not so foolish and slow to believe, perhaps we too would see how that all our doubts and all our disappointments in this world, many as they are, are but a failure to trust what God has said and a blindness to see the bigger picture of Christ's glory in the redemption and gathering in of his church. 
Now we can't spend more time on this passage in Luke, though it deserves much more time to be spent upon it. That's a service and a sermon for another day. Suffice it to say this, that what the Lord did in this resurrection visitation is recounted to us in 24. Chapter 24, Luke 24, verse 45 and 46, it says this. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus is it, thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day. What are our local disappointments in comparison to the great work of redemption and the glory that is unfolding before our eyes this very day. There is no comparison and all the disappointments will instantly disappear if the Lord but opens our understanding to believe the scriptures. What better encouragement could we have to be about the business of hearing the gospel preached, of studying the scriptures and the word of God and eagerly looking for the visits of the Lord as we go along our own Emmaus road. It is in having our understanding of gospel truth and gospel doctrines open that we can properly put the challenges and disappointments and doubts of our life in their proper perspective. The fifth and the final appearance of the Lord this day was to a large group comprising the 11 plus others, um, Luke tells us, though importantly Thomas was missing from the group on this occasion. And the Lord's words to this large group, to these straightened and and introspective, these inward looking and fearful people was this. Peace be unto you. He, He upbraided them for their lack of faith and for dismissing the women, rightly so. But he urged upon them confidence and assurance and a reliance upon God. He showed them his hands and his feet. He showed them the piercings and the bruisings. He confirmed that it was truly him risen from the dead. Their Lord Jesus Christ. And he told them of the great task that lay before them to carry his gospel to the ends of the earth. These five visits had a particular message for a special need and we're reminded how the risen Lord still meets his people in the gospel to address our problems, to comfort our hearts, to strengthen our courage, to equip us for his service and to lead us forth with this message of truth even yet for the gathering in of his people. And maybe in your life you're a Mary mourning or you're a Peter repenting 
or you need a word to inspire you to step out in the service of the Lord. But whatever it is that is our need in this moment, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, comes to his people in resurrection power and supplies grace sufficient for the day. Grace sufficient for our need. May he visit us today in clear and in ever-increasing appearances. And may he give us ears to hear his words of comfort and eyes to see his pierced hands. And if, as he does, our own troubles appear to crowd us out, May they assume their proper place in our estimations, knowing that this grand theme of Christ's own suffering and the redemption of his church and the glory that must follow will satisfy our souls and still our hearts in time of trouble. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us today. Amen.